today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. If we don't see it as sin, it's not that serious, not that big of a deal, then it's taken outside the scope of God's forgiveness. And unless and until we confess sin as sin, then it's hands off. No, get to the cross with that sin because it was all paid for. All of it was paid for. <laughs> You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. In our world, sin is not often called evil. Sin is accepted, renamed, and even celebrated. But today, Pastor J.D. will explain how important it is to call sin, sin. It's crucial to recognize sin as evil and against God's good plan and confess it. Take sin to Christ at the cross where it's been paid for and you'll thrive. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. In verse 2, the second sign of a spiritually healthy Christian in church is that they show hospitality to others. Now, this is interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that we don't really quite grasp in our day what it was like culturally in that day. So they did have inns that people would stay in, but they were not safe. So if you had people, travelers from out of town, they would rely on their brothers and sisters in Christ to take them in and let them stay with them and be hospitable towards them and give them a place to stay. Um, but there was a couple of problems with this, and these problems were rife throughout the early church. In fact, some church historians document just how serious of a problem this was. You have the problem of these false teachers that were taking advantage of the hospitality of the brothers and sisters. So they had to use discernment. But they could go to the extreme and be so discerning that they don't show hospitality. And here, unbeknownst to them, it's actually an angel taking on human form. Think Lot, and that's an angel unaware that we're showing hospitality to. So in other words, there had to be discernment. We actually, I hesitate to say it, but we are, um, how do I say it without, I don't want to, uh, okay, help me out, Holy Spirit. Uh, we just had recently someone come into this church that had to be removed from this church because of this. And we cover your prayers, by the way. We have to be very discerning, because if anybody walks through the doors, gives as a church, we are so embracing and enveloping and welcoming. And there are wolves that take advantage of that. 
and take advantage of you. And I want you to know something, first of all, about the leadership and the staff and the elders in this church. They are ferociously protective of you. And so am I too. (laughs) I mean, if anybody walks through those front doors that poses a threat to this church, they won't last very long. Maybe 20 seconds. If I'm out there, it'll be about 15 seconds. They're out of here. Because they pose a threat, and they pose harm, and they pose danger to this God's church. And we have to be discerning, because we don't know. Maybe it's an angel. That would be bad kick an angel out of the church, (laughs) thinking they were a false apostle or a wolf in sheep's clothing. No, take them in. You don't know. We had a guy a couple years ago, more than two years ago now, homeless guy comes in, whoo, the smell. So we had uh, Mac you know, and I think uh, Mark and Sharon gave him some clothes. We have a shower upstairs. We got him a shower, got him some food, got him some clothes, and we didn't know. And all of a sudden, he starts saying very inappropriate things to the women in the church. And so, we <laughs> I won't tell you what I did, because you'll see me very differently, but uh, let me just say that we made very sure... <laughs> that he was physically removed from the property immediately. Because that's a predator. That's a wolf. That's a threat. And this needs to be a safe place. But again, we covet your prayers because we need discernment. What if that guy was an angel unaware? You want to err on the side of grace, but you also want to err on the side of an abundance of caution. So, this is what was happening. One of the signs of a healthy church is that, yes, we are hospitable, but don't throw discernment out with the baby of the bathwater of hospitality in so doing. Number three, verse three, and this is an important one. You'll see why here in a moment. It's remembering those in prison. Now, you have to understand that in that day, the prisons were not like they are in our day. They didn't have gyms and, you know, Starbucks or whatever they have. I'm not trying to be dismissive or disrespectful. I mean, it's, you're still incarcerated. But if you were in prison in that day, you were left there to die. They didn't even feed you. They didn't clothe you nothing. If you were to survive in prison, it would be because of loved ones that would bring you food and clothing and sustenance. The Apostle Paul, remember when he's asking for his cloak, it was very cold. And he was asking for the scrolls, the Word of God. He was incarcerated. Unless they were giving him food and feeding him and helping him and sustaining him, he would have just been left there to rot and die, as many of them did. When we get to James, again, that's the next book, when we're finished with this book of Hebrews in chapter 13, James is very clear in no uncertain terms about 
pure, undefiled religion. Spiritually healthy Christians. It's manifest in taking care of the widows, the fatherless, and those in prison. That's, that's Christianity. That's spiritually healthy Christianity. And that's what it looks like. Number four, this is a biggie. Bear with me on this one, please. They keep the marriage pure. Now, it's important to note that the word in the original language, again, that the writer of Hebrews uses for sexual immorality is pornea, where we get our English word for pornography. It's defined as anything that is sexually sinful or immoral, sexual immorality. And so here the writer is exhorting them to keep the marriage bed pure. And he even goes as far as saying that God will judge those who are sexually immoral. And really, truth be made known, one need look no further than to the lives, the marriages, and certainly the churches that have been devastated and destroyed as a result of sexual immorality. This is a biggie. And the enemy knows it, by the way. That's why he targets it strategically. I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan hates your marriage. You know why, right? Because of what the marriage, the Christian marriage represents. It's a microcosm of our relationship with Jesus Christ as our bridegroom. The whole family is a microcosm of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're siblings in Christ. Probably shouldn't you say it like that, because <laughs> that explains a lot, right? Sibling rivalry, no wonder. I prefer brothers and sisters. That's uh, softer. But we're, we're siblings in Christ. He's our Heavenly Father. Jesus is our bridegroom. We're the bride of Christ. It's all a microcosm of our relationship with the Lord. And that's why he hates it. That's why he hates the Christian marriage. And that's why he targets the Christian marriage. You know, when Jesus says that God hates divorce, please know that it's not that God hates the divorced. He hates divorce because of what divorce does to the divorced. I think it's... Uh, a sad commentary in the church today when divorce is treated like the unforgivable sin. Like you have this scarlet letter. No. God is a gracious God, and certainly when it comes to a very sensitive topic like this, the grace of God is sufficient. Please hear me on this. Because Satan will build an infrastructure of guilt and condemnation, especially in the life of the men and the husband when it comes to this. And that need not be, because God is a gracious God. God is a forgiving God. And when sexual sin, not the unforgivable sin, is committed, 
if it's confessed and forsaken, mercy is found. I think it's Proverbs 28, 13 that says, I could be wrong, that if we confess and forsake our sin, He will show us mercy. 1 John 1, 9, familiar I'm sure to most, if not all. It's been affectionately referred to as the Christian bar of soap. If we will but confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, purify us of all unrighteousness. The cleansing blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. So powerful is the blood that it can cleanse any sin, even this sin, dare I say, especially this sin. One last thing on this, because again, I know it's a biggie. The guilt and the condemnation when it comes to this, especially again in the life of men, is such that Satan keeps men right where he wants them because of this. And all it takes is to get to the cross where that sin was paid for. Yeah, but pastor, I mean, I did that and I keep sinning. Do you think God's surprised? Yeah, but I, I even made a vow. I promised God I'll never do that again. And then I, I did it. And it's kind of like the enemy's right there going, I wouldn't go back. You, you told him you were going to do that, and you did it. I wouldn't go back and ask for, in fact, if I were you, I would lay low for a while on this one. You know what he's doing, right? And he's met with a measure of success in doing it. He's distancing you from the Lord, which is his sole goal. See, his strategy shifts when you come to Christ. See, before you get saved and come to Christ, he's all about keeping you from coming to Christ and getting saved. And then you come to Christ and you get saved, and he's like, okay, regroup. We've got to shift our strategy now. He came to Christ, he's saved. Now, now let's get him distanced from the Lord. And he distances us from the very one who has forgiveness and cleansing at the ready. And he knows it. He doesn't want us to know it. Because as long as he can keep us from the cross, keep us from confessing, he's got us. You're done. It's game over. You're down for the count. You dare not think about serving the Lord in any capacity. My goodness, even come to the church. The person sitting next to you knew what you did. Don't look at the person sitting next to you when I say that. Come on, you've heard it all before, right? See, he's always condemning and accusing. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. It's a lie. You're believing his lie. He's the author of confusion. Here you are. You're not walking in victory in this area of your life. And he just keeps beating you down and beating you down and beating you up. No wonder. And the last thing you want to do is read the Word. 
It's been said that the Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. Has it ever dawned on you? I mean, consider this. Think this through. Has it ever dawned on you that that was his intended purpose from the very beginning when he started tempting you? And it usually sounds something like this, well, hey, you know, you can always ask for forgiveness. So it's not a sin to be tempted, James says, again, when we get to James. It's a sin when you give in to that temptation, and then once you sin, oh my, he's right there. Oh, now he's changing his tune. I can't believe you did that again. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. And here the Lord's just waiting with open arms. And Satan paints this picture on your Christian life of God waiting with a baseball bat. You're going to get it now. I keep your distance now. Confess it. Let me just qualify what it means to confess your sin. You're confessing sin as sin. In other words, you're calling sin, sin. I know that might seem elementary, but <laughs> that's another thing we do. We kind of take the edge off of it. So we don't really call it sin. So now the sin of adultery is not adultery. That's, whoa, that's, wow, that sounds horrible. So let's call it an affair. Ah, seems such, so much more plausible and amicable. It's, oh, it's just an affair. Or how about this one? I, my favorite one is, you know, I just got some issues. <laughs> issues. That's actually sin. Confess it as such. Because, see, Jesus came to pay for sin, not issues. I'm sorry, but I know that's, uh, for lack of a better way to illustrate it. See, Satan's very clever and subtle, very intelligent too, by the way, and strategic. He gets us to kind of switch the, the labels. So if we don't see it as sin, it's not that serious, not that big of a deal, then it's taken outside the scope of God's forgiveness. And unless and until we confess sin as sin, then it's hands off. No, get to the cross with that sin because it was all paid for. All of it was paid for. <laughs> Let's move on. Number five. A spiritually healthy Christian and church learns to be content. Now, one would not necessarily think contentment would rise to the level of being included in this list of the writer's exhortations, but when you consider the propensity for financial impropriety, under the banner of a love of money, then this makes sense. Stay with me. I think of the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 6. 
the, probably the most misquoted verse in all of the Bible. It's money is not the root of all evil. Money's neutral. It's what we do with the money, whether immoral or moral. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And I'll tell you, as the Apostle Paul by the Spirit writes to Timothy, you will rue the day that you became greedy and loved money because you will pierce yourself through with many a sorrow. How many people on their deathbed lived with such regret chasing the almighty dollar? Just a little bit more. Never having tasted from the sweet cup of contentment. Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or I have little. Here's the thing. If a Christian or a Christian church is given over to this, then it's really only a matter of time before devastation will ensue. And I I think the statistics bear this out as well. Be content. Be content with what God's provided you. This thing about greed and loving money and being all about the money, to your own peril, you do that. Larry Burkett, the late Larry Burkett, who's with the Lord now, the founder of Christian Financial Concepts, used to have many sayings that uh, have always stuck with me over the years. But one of his uh, sayings was that, the way a Christian handles their money is a spiritual barometer. Let me say the same thing in a different way. You can gauge the spiritual maturity of a Christian based on how they spend their money, how they are with money. That's how you can gauge where they're at spiritually. It's a barometer, a thermometer if you prefer. You can take their temperature, those vital signs, and how they handle their money, what they do with their money. I'm not going to get it, by the way, this is <laughs> the only time we ever talk about money here is when we're at a place in God's Word where God's Word's talking about money, okay? For those of you online, especially if you're new, <laughs> Please, please, please know. First of all, we don't even receive an offering here. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if you happen to notice, we got a couple boxes on the back wall. When I uh, first came here and started this church, I just made the decision, again, nothing wrong with receiving an offering, but I just made the decision that God would provide our every need financially. And I just am uncomfortable and because of the abuses from many a pulpit and many a church, where the first 20 minutes is all about, we need, we need your money. And then, you know, the music's playing and they, anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go this far into it. But I mean, I, anyway, you're sitting there and it's, it's kind of like the person's looking at you and, oh, I better put something in this thing. And, you know, they pass, and then they pass it around again. Hey, we, you, you didn't put anything in. You know, it's, it's kind of like, no, God loves a cheerful giver. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.